Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You don't think that it's time that somebody cared enough to have a dream? Why are you getting so upset? This is not about you. Yes, it is. You are a human affront to all women, and I am a woman. At some point, you got to decide for yourself who you are. Can't let nobody make that decision for you. How do you go about getting an exorcism? I beg your pardon? Hi, this is Mark Kermode. Thanks for downloading this Kermode on Film podcast. This week's podcast comes to you in conjunction with Scarlet Radio, for whom I am a presenter, as indeed is my guest. I'm thrilled uh, to welcome to this podcast the great... David Arnold. David, how are you? Where are you? I'm looking at you on a Zoom call and you appear to be entirely surrounded by musical... Well, I can see at least six keyboards and three guitar heads. What's going on? Where are you? Uh, I'm, I'm in my little belfry at Air and uh, I'm working on a thing that we're not allowed to talk about till December. It's, it's not film related, <laughs> but it is very exciting. Uh, so I'm attempting to get that thing written by Christmas. So... I'm basically in this uh, in, in in my hole uh, every day until I till I get it done. Desperately waiting for inspiration. So we should say that this thing that you're doing, um, I know you can't talk about it, but is it television or film related? Uh, it is. It's neither actually. It's a it's a concert piece, but it's for a special event, uh, and so uh, it's it's a it's a proper piece of non visual related music, which is odd for me because. You know, I think the reason why I got into this job is because, you know, when I see picture, uh, I, I think of music. And this is a thing where I don't see any picture. You know, I just have a blank page and someone saying, fill that up with an hour and 15 minutes of whatever you like. And, you know, it's, like, it's the worst thing you can do to me is say, just do whatever you like. It's a bit like, you know, it's like when you go into a restaurant, someone says, what do you want? I said, I don't know, anything. <laughs> you know the chef's gonna go well what is it they go oh, anything surprise me <laughs> so the, the worst thing the worst thing you can say is oh whatever you like um so david you've done a series for scala radio about bond and the music of bond tell yes. us about the series um well the initial idea was that you know whenever bond comes around there's always there are countless like programs and lists of the songs you know it's like the best song the worst song the most popular song but who should be doing it now who should be doing it next who shouldn't have done it who might have done it and could have done it and uh but there's there's never really any sort of in-depth discussion about the score you know and the score is such a huge part of these things uh and indeed i think influenced the songs and the songwriting uh as well so 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 scarless uh asked me if i would do a sort of score by score breakdown and analysis of, of every single Bond score that has existed to this point. So uh, I did a lot of listening and a lot of writing, and then I did a lot of talking, and then they uh, they broadcast it. 
Um, I mean, it's not in-depth technically, you know, we don't go into, you know, the horn sound like this because of the way it's voiced, but it's more about the the, the, the sort of the, amb the ambience and the point of it and the sound of it and the drive of it and why perhaps it's like that and where it might have led to and where it might have come from. Uh, and lots of stories about how these things have, uh, you know, happened and developed and occurred and the various things that have happened over the years. But uh, it was it was really interesting digging back into those old scores because I haven't really listened to them with a, you know, with a critical ear. I don't think ever really, you know, I never really put them on thinking, right, I'm going to think about why this is like this. I just listen to them because I like them, you know, same reason I, I, I like the movies, you know, I don't, I tend not to take them apart that much. Like I wouldn't with, like I wouldn't with a good sausage. Sausages and law are the two things that you don't want to see how they're made. Exactly. So, obviously, when you were growing up, the Bond movies and the Bond soundtracks were really important to you. Mm. So, tell me about your first kind of your first falling in love with Bond music. How and why? Uh, the, the the first time was it must have been in the late sixties, and I was seven or eight years old, uh, and I saw you only live twice um, at a children's. Christmas party um, at the Royal British Legion uh, in Luton uh, and they'd had sandwiches and they'd had jelly and they'd had a clown and they would had games and then they wheeled in this sort of 16 mil projector and I was sitting next to it uh, and they had a screen with a mono speaker stuck underneath it which had a wire directly connected to the projector and I remember all this very distinctly because I didn't know what was going on and they they, they put the reel on it must have been a six you know a, a, a 16 mil copy of the movie that they'd hired rented for this event uh, and it started clattering its way through the projector uh, and then I was absolutely transfixed because you have the gun barrel and then you have you sort of zoom out to these guys in space, you know, in a, 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 and then being being eaten by a, 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 a giant rocket with, you know, the, the front opens up and then it, they float off into space and and then you have the song, you know, you only live twice, you know, so you've had the gun barrel, you've had the John Barry's like capsule in space, space march music, which is extraordinary anyway, and then bang into da 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 da. And then, you know, I was absolutely in bits. And of course, immediately after that, Sean Connery is, is post-coitally machine gunned to death uh, and then dumped <laughs> into the sea. And I was eight and I was thinking, this is brilliant. Uh, uh, and, and that was it. Those, those things were happened within sort of six or seven minutes of each other. Uh, and it was quite an eye-opener and, and an ear-opener. I mean, I, I, you know, weird thing to say, but I was I sort of hypnotised by it in a way. And I think it was something about the sound... The combination, obviously, of visuals and uh, and and sound, but but the music just really stuck with me the entire time. And there was so much classic sort of John Barry and You Only Live Twice, uh, and you know the marvelous song. And obviously, they used uh, the Bond theme, you know, quite uh, frequently during that film as well. So um, basically, an introduction to everything iconic about it. Because, and I know this is a well-rehearsed story, but because it is possible that there are still some people that don't know it, obviously the Bond theme that you refer to there um, is credited to Monty Norman. What do we know about who, about where the Bond theme, the Dundalunda, the actually came from? 
Uh, well, it was Monty's theme. Monty was working in, um, in, in Jamaica while they were shooting, and he was doing a lot of the in-camera stuff because they had a lot of songs in clubs, which was sort of jump-up music at the time. Uh, and, and Monty was a very successful um, uh, West End uh, and Broadway composer and had shows on and had a very successful career in that. Uh, and so I think the initial things that he came up with were, were, the, were the songs, Underneath the Mango Tree, which is like a great song, the arrangement of Three Blind Mice at the beginning, um, because there was no Bond thing at the beginning of the movie at that point. Blind mice in a row, tree blind mice, there they go, marching down the street, single file to a calypso beat. He had a a theme from a musical um, called A House for Mr. Biswa, uh, and there was a melody which he had from that, which he will famously sing, which had a lyric from a musical, which was, I was born with an unusual sneeze. Um, and that was the backbone, the spine of the entire thing. I was born with this unlucky sneeze, and what is worse, I came into the world the wrong way round, now, the filmmakers, with an eye on what was going on elsewhere, uh, hired John Barry, who was kind of riding high in the charts with his John Barry 7, and also had written a couple of uh, uh, film scores as well, Beat Girl most specifically. Uh, and he had this sound, you know, like he had, he had the kind of swinging sound and that driving Dwayne Eddy-ish surfish guitar thing, which was sort of dark and dangerous. And he was brought in to do an arrangement of Monty Norman's theme, which became the iconic theme that we know today. And it was all recorded, all done very quickly, all recorded in the same room at the same time. Um, I think so much of the success of that is the is the sound of it as well. You know, the fact that these guys were in a room together uh, and it was a sort of a violent and an essential, uh, amazingly swaggering piece of music. Uh, and they, of course, they dialed that in through Dr. No, you know, whenever they could. And, and you know, John Barry used to, used to say to me, he goes like, play the theme, play the theme, play the theme. Because when you come out of those films, you certainly remember them, you know, and you realise that John has planted these things all the way through it. Uh, but that was the only thing, I think he was 27 at the time when he did it, and I think he got £250. Uh, and, and that was how that whole thing started. But um, you can hear snippets in the score. If you listen to Monty's score, you can hear snippets of other elements of the arrangement as well. And I know there's, you know, some contention about... Uh, you know, authorship, but that's been, you know, properly legally defined now, so don't have to worry about it. Um, but if you listen to uh, to the score, there are elements of that arrangement within it as well. So I think there was there was lots to, to, to pick out and find, but I mean, I think John's arrangement of it is the definitive reading of it, and it certainly turned it into something uh, that it may not have been to start off with, and presumably why the call was made. I'm not sure whether it still is, but your Twitter profile for a long time was a picture of you standing very handsomely in a dinner jacket with an electric guitar round your neck. And I asked you about the guitar because I, when I was over there um, at your studio, you've got loads of guitars, including this replica of Brian May's guitar, which I was very taken with. Yes. And I said, what's that guitar? And you said, that's the guitar that I play 
that theme on. So you had that guitar specifically so that during a concert you could play that guitar theme. Is that right? Well, the guitar uh, is a I, 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 like for the first sort of couple of movies that I did. Is it's a it's almost like an endless. Uh, journey through how can I get it to sound the way I want it and and the guitars that I always thought it was it wasn't I always thought it was like a Telecaster or it might have been a Stratocaster because it had a kind of sort of nasal twang but then I realized that that actually I was remembering it rather than really listening to it um, and again like researching the uh, the the show um, it was an actually an acoustic guitar a steel strung acoustic guitar with a single pickup uh, and it was quite a fat one uh, and anyway, years and years and years of trying all these different combinations of things, I came across a, a, a Gibson um, uh, electric guitar, I think it's a 135, uh, and the secret was super, super heavy gauge strings, heaviest gauge strings you can get on the bottom two notes because that's where all the action is, dun, 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 dun. Uh, and just straight into a valve amp and nothing else, just let that do all the work, and a super heavy pick and really dig into it. That's what made the sound work for me. And that guitar was the one that I played on all my Bond films. Uh, and whenever I play it live, I take it out. And I realise that that's the only thing I've ever played on it. I've never played anything else on that on that guitar ever, which is like ridiculous, really. So it's got two very, very, very heavy bottom strings. And the rest of them, they're only used for twang at the end. You never use the rest of them. <laughs> <laughs> I love the idea that there is there's an entire guitar for a single riff. Oh, it's and, you know. I mean, it is it is ridiculous, but it's just that's just the way it turned out. I mean, I'd love I'd love to find a home for it, but I've got a few that I really like. Uh, but that one is just perfect for it, and I I quite like the I quite like the romantic nature of it. Just you know, like like Thor's hammer. You know, he doesn't use it for actual <laughs> hammering. You know, he saves it for whacking people with. You know, he doesn't he doesn't go out and put his shelves up with it so uh so that guitar is 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 yeah very holy and uh whenever i travel with it uh it, i buy it a seat as well because i couldn't couldn't bear for anything to happen to it you know you see pictures of things coming back with you know having been run over by something and it's just in splinters so yes as for a romantic notion it's that guitar the same like vic you know vic flick's guitar uh which i think he sold a few years ago uh obviously he played thousands of things on it but you you know, when you look at the instrument that played that original thing at that Bond session, then uh, you think, oh, that's a bit special. You say you've done a couple of big movies before. For those who are listening rather than watching, it's delightful to see that you've got a you've got a Stargate uh, cap on. Yeah, I um, found it. I had so, a bit of a clear out the other day, and I found my crew hat, which is why it's still clean. It was in a bag. <laughs> I'm so impressed that you've still got the Stargate hat, because, of course, you know, Stargate was... This huge, I mean, massive, great big science fiction movie, and I know that you know you've you and I have talked about this before, but um, Stargate was one of those films in which there must have been a sense for it, for you know for you and for everyone involved that this is the this is the chance to to explore the broadest of canvases because it's a film that you know it's here there and I mean it is in the best sense of the word all over the place that movie. Yeah, I think you know I think Roland's sort of cinematic language is let's take advantage of where we are and what we have and exploit it to however you know however far we can go i mean all of his films pretty much apart from the shakespeare one uh have been spectacular 
Uh, and even know, the Shakespeare one's got a pretty spectacular, you know, cameras flying over. Low. Yeah. I mean, even the ones that are low key aren't yeah, that low he's key. Never, he's never, got, he's never going to stop. Something's going to get blown up. Uh, and <laughs> but what I loved about those first couple was that you know, Roland. Whenever I spoke to Roland about anything, he was always full of what ifs, and all of these ideas came from what if you woke up. What if you woke up in the morning and there was a spaceship covering the entire city that you lived in, you know, which was the start of the Independence Day idea. And Stargate was from, I think it was from a student film. He was saying, what if, what if they found a key to the pyramids buried in front of the pyramids? You know, some key that unlocked it, that made something else happen and you could go somewhere else as a result, you know, and it's like all these what ifs. Um, and of course, once you do the what if and once you leave earth or introduce aliens or anything it's kind of like the gloves are off really aren't they i mean it's like the, the all rules uh you know you have a different sort of responsibility to the music it's not about anything sort of real real uh, and i always remember laughing something I, I think i saw an interview once with someone involved in the production who was saying that independence day was um you know a film about you know humanity coming together under a common threat I go, well, on, on, on one level it is, but it's mainly about blowing things up. You know, it's, <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I didn't, I didn't find the, I didn't find it as profound maybe as they did. Uh, but it was funny, you know, it was funny and everyone had a good time with it and I had a great time with it. Um, but you know, it, it was, it, you know, Ro Roland is, is, you know, it, is a, a very camp in a lot of ways, you know, like his filmmaking, I find, quite camp and his characterization and the way that he shoots things and and he's very funny you know and 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 and, and sort of humorous and and light and good company and all those things make you think oh we can do anything you know it's like he hasn't got his head in his hands you know wondering about the sturm and drang of everything you know he wants it to work cinematically uh well certainly in those days it was um uh and so we had a good time we had a good time doing it and um thank goodness for that because in a way you know, Stargate was a ridiculous kind of over-the-top sort of space opera score, uh, the likes of which I thought, I'll never get to do one. I'll never get to do one of those. I mean, if you think about how many films like that there's been since, where it has been sort of fantastical and escapist, and, you know, the Marvel ones are sort of a different... It's, I, I find the Marvel ones to be sort of slightly different for some reason. Uh, I don't know why that is, or maybe I do if I think about it. Um, but you know where you can create an overarching music world as well. You know, in Stargate, it felt like we could we could we could create a world of, of music which is recognisably Stargate. Uh, and oddly, with Marvel, um, it's I, I find I find it more difficult to find the sort of centre of the the sort of world of Marvel music in a way. You know, it's like I know there are some outstanding scores, um, but as a as a as a kind of I suppose a sort of shop style. Um, you know, they're, they're, some of them are quite different to some of the others, and some are more idiosyncratic than others. So, um, in a way that I know Bond is about one person, but there is a kind of sense of DNA of music with Bond. Um, and uh, but anyway, maybe that's a different program. Programming seventh symbol into computer. Chevron one is holding. Chevron one is locked in place. Power output at twenty-three percent. Chevron 2 is holding. Engage. Chevron 2 is locked. 
Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Of all the bonds that you worked on, what are the cues and what's the score that you're most proud of? Uh, bu- 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 um, uh, I, I tell you the thing that I found the most, or two of the most exciting things. One of the most exciting things was when we recorded uh, the KD Lang song Surrender for the first time because I was, it was a bit of an audition process. I was asked to score the pre title sequence first. They were still shooting the movie. They, made a call to get me on board which was lovely and I think it was a bit of a sort of test we better see how he gets on uh, so they said can you score the pre-title sequence now whenever I write a Bond movie uh, I, I always start with a song whether it's going to get used or not I don't know but it always feels like to me that's the that's the core of it um, and so I'd written this song uh, I'd started writing it with David McCalmont and, and, and then Don Larrick Don Black um, carried uh, the, finished the lyric uh, and it was, you know, very, 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 like, kind of Bond, you know, goldfingery, big and brash and confident. Uh, and in a way, you know, if you were going to do a Bond song that was going to go, bang, here we are, it was, I wanted it to start like that. So we had sort of four minutes to record it at the end of this session. And it was like, this is like a demo. So I, I hadn't played them the song. I'd written the opening sequence, which quoted bits of the song in it. Uh, and uh, but no one had heard a song as such, so I recorded I recorded the, uh, the the actual song with the orchestra right at the end, and it was a one-off thing. I said, look, we're not going to use this. Uh, this is just for a demo for the song, so the producers can hear it. So they sat on the edge of their seats and played it, and it was like, what was that? It was just everything was dynamite. A uh, couple of little fluffs here and there, but you know there was no guidance really you know we just they just blew it and 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 it was astonishing uh and everything happened at the same time all the drums and the guitars and the bass and everything happened at the same time with the orchestra uh anyway when it came to actually recording the song i put the same music up on the stands in front of the same orchestra in the same studio with the same microphones and the same engineer and nothing had changed and just couldn't get close to that the vibe of that first take it was just really really quite weird and we ended up using that. That was the one that we ended up using. Your life is a story I've already written The news is that I am in control 
So the next time that really happened was on Casino Royale, when we deliberately held back the use of the Bond theme until we cut to black at the end of Casino Royale when he says the word, you know, the name's Bond, James Bond. Uh, so you'd spent the entirety of that film willing it to appear, you know, and, 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 and I spent the entirety of that film kind of dangling bits of it uh, and, and waiting for Daniel Craig's Bond to earn it in its fullness. So w whenever he when, he, when he had his tuxedo on for the first time, you sort of drop a little bit more. When he wins the Aston Martin in a game of cards, you drop a bit more. When he does his first flying into an exotic location, you drop a little bit more and you're ready for it. And then by the time it comes up at the end, it's bang. Anyway, so I'd saved it till the end of the recording session. So this was, we'd recorded the entire score for Casino Royale and this was the only thing that was left to do. Uh, and I sort of wanted to hark back to the original sort of John Barry arrangement, but it was obviously muscled up, you know, in a way, Daniel Craig's version of it. Uh, and, and so it was, it was sort of a bit more aggressive and it was fuller. There's more stuff going on. Uh, but everyone was on the edge of their seat. Like the whole band had been waiting to play it as well, you know, because it's one of those things that when you do a session with an orchestra and you say you're doing a Bond movie, they will say, when, when someone comes in, they say, what are you doing? Are we doing a Bond movie? Otherwise, it's just like, are we doing a movie? But they will always say, we're doing a Bond movie. And to play that tune, obviously, full out, you know, from start to finish is a big deal. Uh, and so Barbara and Michael came down and Martin Campbell was there, uh, like other uh, like producers, people from E.ON and MGM, all stood in the control room. Uh, and we just played it, you know, uh, and I was playing guitar on that guitar uh and my hair was longer uh and um it just sounded dynamite you know it just it was just so full of excitement and and energy uh and it was the same thing we went for a second take wasn't wasn't the same it was just that first one it just kind of leapt off the page and everything became electric um and that recording has been used in so many things for you know for the contemporary bonds the ones that i haven't done i think they licensed it for skyfall uh, I think for Spectre, uh, and um, I heard it on the on the trailer. On so you know, it's still it's lovely to feel that it's part of Daniel Craig's James Bond because it did feel it was written for him. You know, that arrangement was sort of written for him, uh, but the but the muscularity of it and the energy of it was all down to the players because, like I said, you know, it's just dots on pages until until they until they take ownership of it, and you've got eighty five people giving it 100%, you know, a lifetime of performance experience, and then it just moves the air about, and you go, bang, that's it, thank you very much. The name's Bond, James Bond. That first take thing has been a big thing for you right through your career, because I remember you telling me the story about, I think, is it Play Dead? Yeah, Play that Dead. Was, that, that it was... That was that was a single take because you had no time left. You just yeah. did it once, and that was it. Yeah, it was a nightmare. Um, we, <laughs> it was a very, it was a very very low budget film, uh, and uh, I mean it wasn't super low budget. I mean we had an orchestra for uh, for a day, which was you know quite uh, an expense, but the money all went on the players, uh, and we had a lot to do. And you know usually in these things, everyone's concentrating on the score, making sure that the score is right and working. Uh, and so written this song uh, for the end titles and uh, I wanted to get the orchestral part of it 
recorded and we had three minutes left it's a three minute long song you cannot go over time if you go over time you go into 15 minutes extra and all of a sudden you're paying 65 people you know x amount of money to do 10 seconds of more anyway so i knew we had to stop when the clock hit one o'clock i knew we had to stop um at the same time the the, the click machine you know that we were using stopped working at that point and it's always happens when you've got one thing left to do and you've got no time to do it, things start going wrong. So I pulled pulled a load of I pulled a load of wires out of the mixing desk and I said, just play it, just play it. Uh, and they hadn't even seen it. So the players were putting the music up on the stand and it was counting them in, three, and bang, and they played it, and they played it all the way through, and that was what we had. And that that was what it was. I mean, if you listen carefully, there are some fluffs and some flubs in there a little bit, but but again, something about the energy of that, you know, I mean it was it was pretty in your face and, and it took a bit of work in post to, 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 to sort it out and get it, you know, get it worked out. But again, you know, the, the energy of the performance. And I think that's probably why I like working with, with players more than anything, you know, because it can, it can just change it so much. I never understood that thing about orchestra overtime until I was doing a series of concerts once with Robert Ziegler and uh, he, he was conducting the orchestra and I was doing interviews in between and I overran I was talking I started talking to Paddy Considine and, and it didn't go short no and then we got into the last <laughs> no and it got into the last piece of music and Robert conducted it like he had a bus to catch and we came at the end of it and I went what was what was with that? And he went, "Have you never heard of overtime?" And it was like, yeah, "Oh, it's a lot. yeah, you're right. If we go if we go one minute over, you have to pay the entire yeah. orchestra yeah. for the fifteen minutes, yeah, and that's a major a thing." I think it was in Manchester. I think that was in Manchester, um, and I was there that night. I think I was there. Was it? Yeah, I think it that was. Sounds r- and we did an interview. Yeah, on it stage. may well have been. Yeah, we did an interview on stage, and 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 I think yeah, I think you asked Paddy Considine, what was it like working with me? Because I'd done Hot Fuzz, you know, and he was in That's Hot right. Fuzz. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he said, "What was it like working with David?" And he said, "I don't know. I never met the bloke." <laughs> which is true. <laughs> the first time. Yeah. Well. He, that was the concert at which he gave me this, which again, for, for listening, this is the this is the 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 mould of Reagan's face from The Exorcist that he gave me as a fiftieth birthday present, wow. and that was the concert that he gave me, and that's why the interview overran oh. because I because he said yeah. I've got something for you, and there was no way we weren't going to talk no. about that for a, no. for, a for a good a, long that time. Is a, that is a lengthy detour. It is a lengthy with, detour. with anyone, but with you, I would imagine it's uh, yeah, it's a whole new holiday. Yeah. That one. So, David, having done the bonds that you did, do you now, when you see a new bond, do you have notes in your head for the composers? I mean, do you listen to the new bond scores and think, well, I would have done that, or I would have done that, or how does it play no, with you? I ne- no, I never do that. Um, I, I, I watch them the way I always watch them. You know, I mean, I just watch them as a punter, and I, I think the one thing that I've learned, if anything, uh, from doing films is that I now know the reasons why I like or don't like certain things. Uh, it's given me an appreciation of why some things work and how they work. And it's like, oh, that was incredibly clever the way that he did this sequence. Uh, and if something is great, you kind of understand the reason why it's great. I mean, you know, I know you you write about films in the same way. You know, you have to understand why things work or don't work. And you do that by by informed opinion and experience. 
Um, so I, 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 I definitely know when something is great, you know, it's like you really think, oh, that's fantastic. Uh, but most of the time, I just, I mean, I'm watching the film. I'm not, I don't listen. I mean, I wouldn't listen to the music specifically. You've obviously got your ear open a little bit for it, but um, I, I just try and sit back and watch a Bond movie as it is. Um, as I did, you know, when I was eight, you know, I wasn't really picking things apart, but, you know, the music certainly stuck out. But, you know, it's impossible to to not have a critical ear, uh, you know, because you're always you're always think you're always thinking of you know how is this how is this working and also not how is it working now, but what does this mean for the next guy? You know, it's like because every time you do something, you know, Daniel's James Bond has done something which hadn't been done before, that's going to have an impact on what the next guy has to do. So whatever anyone does with a score will have an impact on the next one because these things are you know, impact, impactful in terms of the series. Uh, and you can't ignore what's gone before. I mean, we haven't had another disco Bond score, uh, you know, since uh, uh, since A Spy Who Loved Me. Uh, and, um, you know, it's probably because, like, the sort of disco faded away a little bit. It was a little bit at the end of Moonraker, wasn't there, where they did the, you know, the kind of, like, a down deep inside mix that they did for Jaws 2, wasn't it? With Donna Summer, another another John Barry song. You know, it was like a sort of disco version of it, and then they did the disco Well done sort for of mentioning mixing. Jaws 2. Yeah, uh, nobody, nobody else could have got there, but well done. Uh, Moonraker, Moonraker had the Shirley Bassey, you know, sort of disco-fied. So it's always moved with the times and sort of reflected other things that have gone ahead. Um, but this, you know, this, you know, the last, I guess the last three songs, really, especially... Uh, have been sort of quite introspective you know the opening two you know my name with Chris Cornell and the Jack White Lissy Keys ones were kind of door kicking open songs you know that, that had a certain energy to them uh, but like Adele and Sam Smith and now Billy um, uh, have done you know the, this 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 kind of internalized uh, bond which is you know more about the darkness in him so that's something which we're going to have to deal with next time round. You know, whoever gets the job of being James Bond and writing the music for it, um, you know, that's something that has happened. So you're going to have to consider it. Um, so it's always interesting. That's why I always love the end of a Bond movie. As long as those words come up at the end, James Bond will return. I'm happy, you know, because from the moment it starts, it's like potentially you're, you're about to watch the greatest Bond film that's ever been made. And what's great about it is for some people, that film will be the greatest Bond film that's ever made. Even the one that other people hate. You know, there might be like people say, oh, I really didn't like that. There's going to be an equal amount of people said that's the best one ever. I mean, it's, 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 it's an incredible, <laughs> a large umbrella. And so from your point of view, David, what is the best Bond film ever? Oh, well, if you ask me what my favourite is versus what's the best, uh, I think my favourite will always be Only Live Twice just because, you know, I had my first dance, you know, with Bond at, at that tender age. Um, and, you know, that's something you can never, re- you know, the impactfulness of, of your first experience, you know, uh, in a film with a series. Um, you know, it's it's up there with, the, with, with the, the, the big spaceship at the end of Close Encounters on the big screen at the Luton Odeon where no one could believe that you could see something that big. When it turned over, you know, and revealed itself, 
watching, you know, watching Alien at the Luton Odeon, knowing that the, 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 the he was going to come out of his chest, you know, knowing that was going to happen, and the whole cinema, which at that point was like eighteen hundred people, I think, screaming at the same time. You know, these things burn themselves into your experience, and and so for me, watching you only live twice as a tender, impressionable eight-year-old, uh, it's it's always going to be it's always going to be the best for me. Oh. What's a nice girl like you doing in a place like this? I have a confession to make. What? Actually, I'm a spy. I don't know that. And what's the best Bond theme? Ah, uh, best Bond theme. I mean, you know, I'm going to have to go for Honor Majesty's Secret Service because, A, it, it, ex, it, ex, it excuses me the song aspect of it, the lyric aspect of it, and the performer aspect of it. Um, but it is it is an absolute killer tune. And, and, and oddly, working with uh, Jack White on, on Quantum of Solace, he, he wrote Seven Nation Army to be a Bond theme. He said it because he loved Honor Majesty's Secret Service so much that he wrote Seven Nation Army. And then if you listen back to Seven Nation Army, it's following the same, he goes, bam, 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 down, 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 bam, 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 ding, 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 down. You could go, bam, ba, da, over, da, 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 da. You could go over it, you know. But anyway, so, you know, that's why Jack was like super excited to do it. Um, uh, yeah, so he was a massive fan of that. I mean, it's just such a killer tune. It's such a killer tune. This never happened to the other fella. I had a Jeff Love plays the themes of Bond uh, yeah. album when I was a kid, and, and that, that was, was the one that, yeah. But I just played that over and over and over again because yeah. it was, it was full of you know emotion and tragedy and excitement yeah. and everything about it. That you say that crawling down, and also just it has weird little leaves. Da 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 da. Is yeah. you know to me yeah. it was like it's gone to the wrong note and yet yeah. somehow it's perfect yeah yeah it's very upsetting <laughs> i mean it's interesting john's songwriting i don't know if i ever felt like he was writing a song or whether he was just writing a theme because when you try and sing them they're incredibly difficult to sing they have leaps harmonic leaps melodic leaps which would work make sense on a piano but when you're singing them you know it's it's uh it, it, there are some really tricky stuff to make work um and you know like nancy sinatra i think you know Live twice which i love as a song that you know that bridge section and love is a stranger you know there's 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 so many odd vocal things that you probably wouldn't do if you were a singer writing a song like that um, but Don Black used to tell me that John, you know, when John delivered a song to him, it was like an unveiling. You know, there wouldn't be, a, there wouldn't, there wouldn't be, a, there wouldn't be a, a note to change. You know, he would have, he would have done the sweating. He would have worked it out, and he goes, this, "This is, this is it. Write a lyric to that." And so that melody would have been there, and that would have been the end of it. No arguments. Oh. 
David, it's been great talking to you. Now, um, people are going to be able to listen to uh, the Scarlet Show. I know that the I know that the new Bond has been delayed again. Yeah, but. Um, but the the series uh, is going to be available for uh, for Scarlet Radio listeners. Was there anything that you discovered doing that series that you didn't know before? Um, well, a lot of a lot of the research, luckily, was already been you know had been done by John Burlingame in his in his quite brilliant book, uh, which I, I participated in at the time. Um, I mean, I love this. I love the stories about who was meant to do what, you know, and 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 Johnny Mathis you know recording his version of moonraker uh, and that afternoon john knowing that it wasn't the version that he wanted and bumping into shirley bassey in a bar in america and saying do you fancy doing another one <laughs> you know i love that i love that um i'd love to hear, I'd love to hear that, that johnny mathis version actually because um yeah, and there was a few. Obviously, you know, the Sinatra stories were, were extraordinary about he was going to do it, then he wasn't going to do it, and then Nancy did it. And, um, I mean, that's where all the politics are, I suppose, isn't it? And that's where the juice is. I mean, it's it's not quite as exciting when you talk about who might have played third bassoon on Goldfinger uh, <laughs> and why they didn't turn up, you know. But when Frank Sinatra says no, then that's, that's different. Um, but, um, yeah, just, you know, the, the backwards and forwards and stuff. I mean, so I, I knew quite a lot because obviously having worked with Don Black a lot and having hang around with John quite a lot, I, I knew a lot of the stories. And, you know, Harry Saltzman's um, extraordinarily, you know, dislike of, of the lyrics for Diamonds Are Forever. You know, he just he just absolutely hated it. Uh, and he thought it was lewd and rude and disgusting. And, uh, and um I think John stood up and told him what to do with his opinion, as he <laughs> as he very often did. <laughs> I always think lewd, rude, and disgusting is a great review. I mean, it's just like, yep, just just take that on the poster and, and sell it yeah. to me. Don, David, Don, it's, told, Don it's, Don told me a great story. I said you can cut this out. I mean, Don told me a great no, story ahead. about um, about Born Free that the producers oh, yeah. wanted a song about lions, you know, and. Uh, about lions uh, and they didn't deliver a song about lions they wanted something more universal you know so Born Free just such a brilliantly naturalistic lyric uh, and sings incredibly well on a technical level uh, but you know the, the the producers made it very public to Don and John that they didn't like it and they didn't want it in the movie uh, and gave them quite a hard time about it so scroll forward six months when they win the Oscar for best song uh, and they're having their photo taken and they go to the governor's ball and so John and Don are sitting there with their Oscars on the table and the producer came over and just leans over and he says, it grows on you. That's <laughs> <laughs> Oh, brilliant. Uh, David, as always, it's been an absolute treat talking to you. I could just, uh, I could talk to you forever and ever and ever. Um, thanks ever so much. Uh, I would and direct people again to the... you're going to have to. <laughs> <laughs> to your Scala Radio series. It's lovely to be, um, to be a fellow Scala Radio presenter with you, which I'm very proud of, obviously, since I've played with you. Um, and uh, please come back to the, uh, to the show when we're back in the BFI and when all, when all yeah, this is behind us. Yeah, uh, thanks ever lovely. so much. The great, the great David Arnold. Oh, thanks, Mark. 
Well, there we are. I hope you enjoyed that exclusive Kermit on Film conversation with the irrepressible David Arnold. You can join David for The Music of James Bond on Scala Radio every Sunday from the 18th of October to the 15th of November between 6pm and 8pm. Do check it out. It is a fantastic series. Thanks so much for downloading and listening to this Kermit on Film podcast. If you've enjoyed it, please remember to subscribe, tell your friends, and why not pop over to our Patreon page where there's loads and loads of uh, exclusive extras. Thanks so much. Stay safe. See you all next week. Keep watching the skies. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com.